Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Well, we are in week three of our series, uh, The Seven. And we're looking at the seven churches in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. John has this vision, if you've been studying with us, from the island of Patmos. And the first thing that the Lord tells John is he tells him to write these letters, these specific letters, to these local churches. And we get a chance to, to read them. And these letters, in, in many ways, are, are kind of like a report card. The, the letter was sent to the pastor or the leader in these churches. And we saw last week at Ephesus. And the church gathered around, and the pastor would read the letter. And, and it was a letter directly from Jesus to how they were doing as a church. Now, that's intense, isn't it? I mean, think about that today. If we said, you know what, we're going to kind of change things up today. We got a specific message, a letter from the Lord Jesus, and you're going to tell us how we're doing at New Vision. You'd be on the edge of your seat. And so last week for the church at Ephesus, there were some things the church at Ephesus was doing well, but then the church at Ephesus had this strong, strong rebuke because they had lost their first love, their love for Christ and their love for others. And the message was clear from the Lord, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, that they need to remember the height from which they had fallen, remember their beginning relationship with the Lord. They needed to repent and they needed to repeat the things they were doing at first. Now today we turn our attention to the second letter the church at Smyrna. Now, uh, the obvious one is it's, it's not the city 15 minutes down the road. You guys, everybody's got that. Now, let's just go ahead and get that off the, off the table here. Um, Smyrna is still a city today in Turkey. Now, since the 1930s, it's, it goes by the name of Izmir. Uh, there's still local bodies of believers, Christians, and several churches in the city of Izmir today, which you may say is not that big a deal. Well, when you think about the nation of Turkey, it is Turkey is probably the most difficult nation in the world to plant churches. It's probably the most, perhaps, most antagonistic toward the gospel today of, of any country uh, in, in the world. But there is a group of believers still there. Now, this letter that was uh, written to the church at Smyrna, we've entitled this message Smyrna, the first 4.0, because if, if, if we look at this letter that Jesus wrote to the church, Smyrna doesn't have anything that they were doing wrong. It was all positive. So it's, if this is report card day, they get a 4.0. And so we might ask, well, if this is a church that got a 4.0, if this is a church, not a perfect church, but Jesus doesn't have anything that they need to really improve on, then, then I want to learn from them, right? Let, let's, do a, let's do kind of this uh, study guide from the church at Smyrna. Let, let's, let's learn from them and see what God showed them. And, and so I don't, I don't know if you remember, if you were in school and some of you still in school, you know, there was always exam time and there was always somebody in the class that just busted the curve, just the best student in class. And so when it was time to cram, you wanted to study with that person. Right? That was never, I was never that person. But you always wanted to study with that person. In fact, you want to get some tips. You want to get kind of some secrets from that person. Like, how have you done so well in this class? And you were hoping for a shortcut, right? You were hoping for a shortcut. But instead, you got, you know what? I never miss class. I take great notes. And, you know, I try to study about three or four hours every night. You're like, ugh, hoping for something else. You know, maybe it was a, it's a friend, and you, you, they've lost like 35, 40 pounds. And you're like, man, that is awesome. I, I'm so proud of you. T t tell me what you're doing. And they say, well, you know what? I'm working out faithfully every day, and I haven't eaten since Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Again, hoping for for something else. Let me tell you this. When you meet someone 
who has the kind of faith that the folks at Smyrna had, a deep abiding faith that endured persecution. Because what we're about to see is we need to be, we need to be really clear. Here's a group of people that were persecuted for their, their faith. We're going to see they were persecuted physically, financially, in every, every way. Uh, they experienced a ton of persecution. But you see somebody who has this deep abiding faith that doesn't turn away from the Lord. And you say, man, I want a walk with Jesus like that. And you begin to talk with them and find out sort of what's going on and what makes them tick. Most of the time, most of the time, what you'll find out is here's a person who has endured some suffering in their life and endured that suffering well. Amy and I are moving into uh, becoming empty nesters. And so recently she said to me, she said, I think we need to get a, get a hobby together. I said, perfect, already got it. Uh, you can just start fishing with me. I could get you some shorts with a lot of pockets and the shirts with a lot of pockets. I know how you love those. And uh, she doesn't, that was a joke. And, uh, you know, I got room in the boat. We'll just do that. And I had visions of us traveling. We've been traveling around chasing our boys and all their sports and doing, you know, going on. We could just do like a tournament trail all over the country. We could travel around and do that. That'd be great. She's... She wasn't interested uh, in that. She said, no, no, I, I don't want to do that. She said, I've been thinking about something that we could do as a hobby. She said, maybe this time in February, next year in February, we could run a marathon together. <laughs> I said, wow, tell me more um, about, about that. I, I'm not interested in that in the, in the least. And she said, well, we could get up every morning early, boy, this is really sounding good, and we could, we could go on uh, jogs together and we could talk. I said, let me, let, let me, let me just stop you right there, because if you want to talk to me, I guarantee you, if I'm running, I will not be able to talk, because I, I, I won't not be able to breathe, for starters. And so she's selling. She says, you know, in most training plans on the internet, if you look at a training plan on the internet, you don't have to run in training the full 26. You really just need to train up to 20. Like, that's supposed to encourage me. Okay, sweet, I'm in. That sounds easy. Um, on Thursday night, there's somebody here that came up after the service and said, my training plan for a marathon had us running 29 miles before the race. I was like, just get out of here. Don't even tell my wife that because I'm not doing that. And you might say, well, I'm not tracking with you. What does this have to do with anything? Today, we're going to really take a look at a study guide for suffering. And we can't today put you in that kind of situation. I mean, we, we can't replicate suffering. It's just going to happen to you in so many different ways. And so it's, we can't really produce a 26-mile run here today. But what we can do is take a look at what the Scripture says and drive out some false beliefs and, and, and have a training plan that gets us prepared for that defining moment. Because what they say in this marathon training plan is if you can run 20 miles the day of the race, you can push through that final six. I'm not buying that. That's just what they say. What I am saying is about uh, persecution is, and suffering and difficult things in our life that we can, we can go so far in getting prepared and then those defining moments in our life and in your life, then you have a chance to stand and endure for your faith. So let's, let's literally stand to our feet right now as we read from the Word of God, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to stand to our feet in honor of the Word of God, also a, a show that we want to come under the authority of the Word of God. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8 to the angel at the church at Smyrna, I write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, 
who died and came to life again. I know your affliction and your poverty, the Lord says, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, the Lord says. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even up to the point of of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Father, as we have read your word today, would you teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit truths that can prepare us for these defining moments, these difficult moments in our life. In Christ's name, amen. You can be, be seated this morning. You know, let me say this, because you're, you're probably thinking, well, when it comes to suffering, um, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know, like persecution. I don't feel like I'm experiencing any persecution, and I would agree with you there. Most of us today, we aren't experiencing anything close to the persecution that these early first century Christians were experiencing. In fact, the second pastor of the church at Ephesus, church history tells us he was a man by the name of Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. So Polycarp, is an, Polycarp was trained by John, the beloved disciple, the one who received this vision in Revelation, this unveiling. And so Polycarp is pastoring this church at Smyrna when he is called to Rome under the emperor Domitian. And Domitian wanted to be worshipped as the Lord God, and Polycarp would not do that. And so Polycarp was given an opportunity to either recant his faith and not worship the Lord Jesus and worship uh, Domitian, or he would be killed. Polycarp is an 85-year-old man. Church history tells us that he said something to this extent. For these past 85 years, my Jesus has never failed me, and in this moment, I won't fail him, and he breathed his last. This is the environment that these believers were living in, this persecution It says here that uh, Jesus says, I know your affliction and your poverty. One of the reasons why they were poor uh, is because in Smyrna, Smyrna was under and in the Roman Empire at this time. And so many of the the Jews who had settled in Smyrna after Jerusalem is destroyed in AD 70, uh, they uh, did not have a good relationship at all with these believers because the Jews there, they wanted peace with the Romans. They, they, they wanted the Romans to just to kind of leave them alone. So they didn't want to rock the boat at all. So they saw these believers as a threat to that. So they would often slander these believers, say negative things about them to turn Rome's attention against these believers. Consequently, they suffered imprisonment and all types of persecution. And one of the things that they suffered was financial persecution. Folks would not do business with them. So they were struggling in so many different ways. And, 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 and we're not really there as, as, a, as, a, as a country, but everybody in this room is going through some suffering. And so the principles that we're going to see in this study, God, as we study with the church at Smyrna, and they're going to give us four questions that we really need to answer when it relates to suffering. But you have to really identify what suffering is. You have to make it personal. You see, sometimes we're, we're, we're suffering physically. We're going through something in our life just physically, and we wonder, God, where, where are you? 
Sometimes some of you are suffering relationally. Some, some of you are suffering and struggling in your marriage right now. There are some of you here that have, even this week, just thought, you know what, I, I, I just, I just want to be done with this and just, just quit and just, just give up. And so what we're going to see today are going to be some, some tools and some principles to help you continue on. Uh, some of you uh, right now, even with a, a relationship, a child, it's just been so difficult. Some of you, it's a sin area that you can't seem to overcome in your life. And just, just to be honest, Honest, you're just prone to say, you know what, just forget it and just kind of give in to that. And so you're battling and you're struggling. See, struggles come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? And we're going to see some principles that can radically change how you view suffering and the struggles in this life. Here's, here's the first question on the study guide. The church at Smyrna would say, you really need to answer these four questions because here's the exam. Here's the, here's the final exam, how you can endure through suffering. The first question you have to answer is, why? Why suffering? And so Smyrna, the church at Smyrna, the believers there would answer it this way. Suffering is ultimately a wake-up call to the battle that you're in. Suffering our persecution in many ways. Look at this. And, and, and moms, please, could you look this way, moms? Because I, I don't want any emails tomorrow. What I'm about to say, I'm not advocating violence. I'm not advocating that you're, you know, you're a great school boy fight. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, when I was in the third grade, I considered myself more of a lover than a fighter then growing up, and uh, I went to Nanny Berry Elementary School, Hendersonville, Tennessee. I was on the playground in the third grade, and there was a guy in my class, his name was Chris, and we just kind of went at it right, like this every day. You have a guy like that, just kind of running your mouth back and forth, any of you ever? And then one day things changed. He punts me square in the mouth. Guys, you ever been hit in the mouth? First thing that happens is you're just like, that's my blood right there. And then the next thing that happens is something just takes over. I don't know what it is, adrenaline maybe. And like for the next minute and a half, you lose your mind. And I just remember going at it, my first fight as a third grader. And again, I'm not saying Pastor Brady said to fight. I'm just saying it happened. I got punched in the mouth. And the next thing I know, I was in a battle. We're rolling around on the playground, just going at each other. Can I tell you something? That's what suffering and persecution can do. It can remind you that you're in a fight. You're in a fight, a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter six says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and, and, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That tells us that there is an orchestrated, demonic, spiritual attack against you, against your marriage, against your walk with Jesus, against your children, against this church in every way, shape, fashion, or form. We don't realize it because we just live in the West today and we're sort of in a haze, but you experience some persecution or some suffering and it is like a punch in your mouth to remind you that there is a real spiritual battle going on. It is in fact a wake-up call. You see, we don't realize it. We don't realize that we're in a, we're in a fight. Suffering's a punch sometimes to wake us up, and that's why God will allow it sometimes in our life to wake us up to this far greater reality. The second question we might ask is, how long will it last? That's question number two on the study guide. Why suffering? It's a wake-up call. How long will it last? Because that might be where some of you are today. 
this ongoing physical pain that you're going through, how long will it last, this loneliness that, that, that you're going through right now in your life, losing someone that you love so dearly, and you're just lonely. You feel isolated, and it just hurts. This difficult relationship you're in and your marriage, it some days it just, just feels like maybe you just don't even want to get out of bed and you just want it to be over, how long will it last? That's the question of suffering. And so the church at Smyrna can answer that for us. Suffering is always temporary, but rewards are always eternal. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Let's go back and look at a, at a passage. Jesus says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, that, that, that phrase, 10 days, that's just, that's just to remind us that it's just temporary. There's a limited amount of days for this suffering. It's temporary. Some of you will be persecuted for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Here's what we learn from the church at Smyrna, that suffering is temporary, and in the midst of that, I keep my eyes on what is eternal. Does that make sense? Again, this is kind of running that 20 miles to prepare for the marathon, for the final exam of suffering when we're walking through the refiner's fire in our own life. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. I love this. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's this fallen, broken world. It's passed away. And there was no longer any sea. People are, that's weird. What do you mean there's no sea? The Jews were scared to death of the water of the sea. So when they were thinking about heaven, no fear. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is, this is the Lord showing or unveiling what it's going to be like to step into the kingdom to John. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I, word, I love that word prepared. I just love it. It's helped me so much in my life. Because listen, you're thinking about vacation plans this summer. And you, I, any of you just want to go to some new place to see something really cool, right, that you've never seen in the U.S. before. Any of you like that? Two of you? Yeah. And there's some, there's some cool places. God's prepared everything that we see around us in six days, but for over 2,000 years, he's been preparing a home. Does that excite you? I just love that. We've talked about that multiple times here, but this is what it's going to be like when we step into the kingdom. Why does that help? Because suffering in this fallen world is temporary. These rewards are eternal. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. That's good news, isn't it? We won't have to walk by faith any longer. We will walk by what? Sight. You see, that's a big difference, isn't it? And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself, just a reminder, will be with them and be their God. Again, temporary versus eternal. That's what we fix our mind on. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or pain for the old order of things has done what? Passed away. Because suffering is always temporary. That's what the church at Smyrna reminds us of. Can I tell you something? Right now in the midst of the pain that you're going through in your life, the pain that you're going through, if you're a believer, listen to what I'm about to say to you. This is as close to hell as you will ever experience. But can I, always, can, can I tell you something else? If you're not a believer today, what you're experiencing right now is as close to heaven as you will ever experience puts things in some perspective. Well, here's another question that people ask as it relates to how long 
People say, well, well, why doesn't God just end suffering today? Like, I, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't make any sense. Why does he just allow suffering to continue? Well, let's, let's, let's be reminded of what the truth says. There's coming a day when God will end suffering. Didn't we see that? He's coming again. He'll end suffering. But listen, the moment God shuts down suffering, there'll be another door that closes. You know what that is? That's the door for salvation the chance for people to choose Christ, repent of their sin, trust him as Savior and Lord. So God allows one more day of what he hates the most for another day for the opportunity of what he loves the most, and that's people stepping into relationship with him. So here we are halfway through the study, God. You know, why suffering? Because suffering can wake us up to the spiritual realities of this world. That's why in this passage, the, Jesus calls the Jews who are slandering these believers, he calls them a synagogue of what? Satan. That's intense, isn't it? Like, wow. I mean, I hope they don't put that up on the billboard of the church. Like, a, you know, welcome to the synagogue of Satan. Come on in. I'm out, right? That's another thing that Revelation will do. It's an unveiling to the spiritual realm, right? He's saying, here's what's behind this. This is a spiritual battle. That's what's in play. And so this is waking them up to that. Suffering is temporary. And then number, number three, the question is, God, where are you? Ever feel that way? God, in the midst of this loneliness, God, in the midst of this addiction, God, in the midst of this struggling relationship, God, in the midst of this physical ailment that has been plaguing me for so long, God, where are you? The church at Smyrna would teach us through the word of God that Christ understands our suffering not by observation, but by experience. Now watch this. I love this. This is, can I be honest, this is so helpful to me. Revelation chapter two, verse nine, here, here it is. Here's what Jesus says to the church at Smyrna. Watch it. He says, I know, I know your affliction and your poverty. He makes another statement after that. He says, yet you are rich. Did you read that? Did you hear that? Yet you are, what in the world is he talking about? He's saying, because you know me, because your sin debt is forgiven. I want you to think about the richness that you have in me. You see, but those first two words at the start of that, what does Jesus say? I know. Can I tell you something? Everyone in this room is going through something. And here's the message from Jesus to you. I know. In some of the darkest, most difficult moments of your life, has it helped you to sit with somebody and have them say, I know what you're going through? It certainly helped me. And Jesus said, you're going through persecution. I know what that's like. People are betraying you. I know what that's like. Imprisonment, know what that's like. Even death, know what that's like. So today, here's what I would say to you. There is a Savior who says, I know. Do you notice what he doesn't say to this church who is suffering and going through persecution? He doesn't say, well, it's not that bad. He says, I know. He doesn't say, get over it. He says, I know. He doesn't say even, it will get easier. He says, I know. In 2007, 2008, 2009, that period of time, uh, I think Barry Zito was maybe the best pitcher in professional baseball. That's debatable. Uh, you can be wrong if you want. Um, pitched for the o Oakland Athletics. You may say, oh, another baseball illustration. I'm sorry. I'm a shallow person. It's a good story. 
2010 rolls around and the most dominant pitcher in Major League Baseball could not get anyone out. He was benched. After being the most elite pitcher in baseball, now he's not able to get on the field. So he starts spinning out. 2011 comes around, things don't get any better. They get worse. He has a very rare injury, and so he finds himself not on the field again with not a lot of hope of coming back. And he says it was then, according to ESPN the magazine, it was then that Zito said, I realized something else was going on. I realized that this suffering that I was going through, there was something else happening. He said, I'd always been just completely dependent upon me and my gifts and my talents, and now that was all taken away. And he says, it was then and only then that I begin to open myself up to God. Someone comes in, shares Christ, and Zito comes to faith in Christ. He says, uh, there's a story that I loved. Barry Zito told this. He said, there was a story I love. He said, my friend told me the story of this, this shepherd, this shepherd who had these sheep, and one of the sheep kept wandering away, and Zito said, that, that felt like me, wandering away. And he said, so the shepherd took his crook, and he broke the leg of the sheep. And after he broke the leg of the sheep, he took the sheep and he mended the fracture and took care of the sheep until he was healthy again. And then he put it back in the flock and the sheep never wandered away. And Zito said, I love that story. I was reading that story and I thought, that doesn't sound right. Like I I began to, to, to research, is this what shepherds used to do? And the answer is no. There's no evidence that they did this. I mean, sheep may not be the sharpest knot in the drawer, in, in the drawer but if a dude breaks your leg, get away. So that, 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 that's, not, that's not true. And then I thought about a, a story in the scripture that maybe I'd like to share with Barry Zito. It's a shepherd's story. In, in Luke chapter 15, ver, verse 4, it was funny, I was sharing that story and some of you guys were like, huh? I broke a leg. And on Thursday night, there was a lady just nodding like, oh, I love that story too. And I had to tell her, it's not true. It's not true. In Luke chapter 15, verse four, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost sheep until it is found? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He doesn't break his leg. Puts it on his shoulders, carries it, and he goes home. Then, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found this lost sheep. Can I tell you, many of you today feel this way. You feel alone alone with your pain, and if you say, well, I don't feel that way, well, listen, it's just a matter of time before you will, because that's the way life is. And some of you feel alone with your pain today. Watch this. I I know it's almost time to go, but if you don't lock in here, this could be very confusing for you and could really, could mess you up. Sometimes we are alone with our pain and our suffering because of decisions that we've made on our own. Like many times I've been alone in my suffering and my pain because of just poor, poor decisions in my life. Sometimes we are alone and suffering in our pain because of decisions that other people have made. It's even hard for me to say that there's some of you sitting here today, there's some people watching online today, and your pain is so intense. As a child, you were physically 
taken advantage of, sexually taken advantage of and abused and neglected and emotionally taken advantage of. So you've spent so much of your life suffering with that pain and it wasn't your fault. It was the fault of someone who rebelled against God and did that to you. But here you are alone with your pain, same as the first. And then some of you are alone in your pain of suffering, of a difficult marriage, struggling financially, struggling in other relationships of your life, struggling with an addiction that you can't seem to overcome, but you find yourself alone with your pain and you wonder, why? The third reason is we, we just live, we live in a fallen world. So everything that exists today doesn't exist the way God originally intended for it to exist. And so we find ourselves many times working through some suffering and pain just as a product of this fallen and difficult and broken world. But here's what I want to say, and I want you to hear this. Man, I want you to hear this. No matter how you got there or why you're there or what your particular brand of suffering or pain is, let me give you three phrases that I believe the Lord Jesus wants you to hear. Here's the first of them. First of them, number one, I know. Did you hear it? I know. I know what you're going through. Number two, I care. And you say, what? It doesn't feel like he cares. I have to be reminded of how much he cared when he died in my place. That's care, isn't it? And number three, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming to rescue and to redeem. These three things, no matter what it is that you're going through, are rock-solid truths that will help you. This is the 20-mile training run. Knowing these things, being prepared, because the 26-mile final exam is coming, and you can push through that final stretch. If you know these things, I know, Jesus says, I care, and I'm coming. Lastly, the final question on the study guide. Number one, God, why? Suffering wakes us up. Number two, God, how long? Here's what you need to know. Suffering's temporary. Rewards are eternal. God, where are you? Jesus says, I know. I care, and I'm coming. But then the final question is a question of what? God, what, what are you doing? I don't, I don't understand what you're doing This doesn't seem to make sense. What are you doing? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Here's the fourth truth that we learned from the church at Smyrna and other places in Scripture. God uses suffering to purify our faith. Smyrna's suffering was extreme. But it's the reason they had a 4.0 because that extreme suffering brought about this amazing faith in the Lord Jesus. Now listen, let me just be raw with you right now because I can already tell. Some of you are like, man, I don't want that. Here's Suffering will never make sense. Please listen to what I'm about to say. There's a lot of distractions in here. About half of you are asleep. It's a 20-mile run. 26 is coming. Do you believe it? Yeah. You know the deal. You see, this is a fallen, difficult world. If you value your life, your health, and your wealth more than your relationship with Christ, suffering will never make sense. That's why so many people are so dismissive of statements like I just made, because it doesn't make sense. You're like, you know what? I don't want any of that. You know why? Because we value our life. We value our health. We value our wealth more than we value our intimacy with Christ. 
but God is at work within us. You see, here's the irony of suffering. Suffering is the shortest route to God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, listen to this. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Simon Peter just reminds us again, what's the, what's the time period on suffering? Suffering is what? It's temporary. These have come so that, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold... That's why God allows it, because he's doing something. He's refining your faith. That's what he's up to. And if you believe, which is so much where the, world, where the world is, and this is what we're up against. This is what sells so many books today, and everybody loves preachers that talk about this because they think, you know what? God exists to bless your deal. If you have enough faith, he'll make you rich. He'll make you healthy. You know what God is mostly concerned about? Your faith in him, your dependency upon him, your growth in, in him so that you can reflect his glory in your life. That's where He. He's at work, and he will use whatever means possible to reveal that. These have come, verse 7, so that your proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I'm going to tell you something about me. I'm a stubborn dude. I have been a rebellious guy. I have an independent streak a mile long. By nature, I am selfish. That's me. The truth of the matter is, the greatest changes that have come in my life have come through brokenness. Most of the time, not all the time, I wish it wasn't this way, but most of the time, it takes pain to bring about transformation because we just won't lock in. I mean, I've used this quote more than any because it's so good and it helps me so much. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasure. Isn't that true, man? Isn't it hard to hear from God when you're flush with money? when your relationships are awesome, when, when everything is just rolling, right? We're just prone to think it's about us. Isn't it hard to hear from God when that's going on? God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It's a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Think about it this way. There's no bread unless the wheat is what? Ground. There is no wine unless the olive, or excuse me, That'd be gross. That's, that's olive oil. <laughs> I'm a Baptist. We don't talk about alcohol very much, so it's, it's awkward. <laughs> There's no wine unless the grapes are what? Crushed. There's no strong metal unless the metal goes through the fire to be refined. As the Puritans said, God has only one son without sin but none without suffering. Suffering will never make sense to you as long as you value your life, your health, your wealth more than what God is doing within you to grow your faith. You know, I told you about third grade at Nanny Berry Elementary School on Indian Lake Road in, Indian Lake Road in Hendersonville, Tennessee on the playground when I got punched in the mouth and I was in my first fight. I also remember a geography lesson 
in about third or fourth grade at that same school. It was about the southernmost tip of the continent of Africa. For years, that southernmost tip of the continent of Africa was referred to as the Cape of Storms because of the violent, violent weather. So sailors would make their way from the west heading east and they would get to the Cape of Storm and they would turn around and they would go back. In fact, for centuries, no one had ever gone around the Cape of Storm and then came back until the 16th century and a Portuguese sailor named Vasco da Gama. He sailed to the Cape of Storm and then through the Cape of Storm, made it on the other side and found himself in the quiet waters of the Indian Ocean made his way all the way to the coast of India. And then he came back. And one of the first things he wanted to do was change the name of that cape from the Cape of Storm to the Cape of Hope. Can I tell you something today in the storms and the suffering of your life? There is one greater than Vasco da Gama who has gone through the storms and he has returned. And he says, if you will trust him and not quit in the midst of your storms, not turn back in the midst of your storms, not just give up and say, yeah, I can't overcome this addiction and just give in to that. If you will keep sailing, keep trusting him and keep sailing, you could move from the Cape of Storm to the Cape of Good Hope. That's what God has for you. To a place, listen, listen, listen. To a place of peace that you have never experienced to a place of intimacy with this God that you've only heard others tell stories of. It can be yours. It can be yours. Remember the little church in Smyrna, a church that faced intense, intense persecution, greater than the sufferings that we face today and they kept trusting. They kept sailing. And you know what they got to hear on report card day? Well done. And that can be what is said of you. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, would you wake us up to the reality of these evil spiritual forces that are in this world and can we get into the fight? Father, would you remind us that suffering is temporary, not to give up, but rewards are eternal. And Lord, could you burn those two words into our mind that you said to the church at Smyrna and you're saying to us in the midst of our loneliness, our despair, our addiction, our troubling marriages, I know. Teach us that, Lord. You know. And Father, you're up to something. Father, help us not quit in the midst of the storm, turn back in the midst of the storm to keep trusting as you refine our faith as of greater worth than gold. In Christ's name. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.